Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview our Unbundled Attorneys as well as the leading experts in the industry to identify the best practices for converting leads into paying clients and how to ethically and profitably deliver unbundled legal services and other affordable options in your practice. To learn more about how exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. All right, welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. I am really excited to be sitting here with Dia Rogers. Uh, actually, I feel like I've been hounding you to have this interview because, I, and the reason I've been hounding you is just what we're going to be talking about today as far as the way in which you've been providing you know, unbundled legal services to the vast majority of your clients and to unpack the impact that that's had on your practice, the amount of people you've been able to serve, uh, just on all the different levels. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today to have this interview with us and to uh, un- you know, to explain the evolution of your practice and and how you're you're providing these services to these clients these days. So thank you so much for being here and, and uh, being willing to, to jump in the hot seat. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, with your kind permission, maybe you can give us just a little bit of background to how you got your start in the practice of law. And, you know, I remember we were talking a little bit about, you know, how you originally worked for a period of time at a big firm and then made some transition. So maybe you can just talk briefly about uh, the journey that's uh, arrived you at running your own solo practice now. Well, I, I would love to be able to say that it was always, you know, the, the purity of the practice of law that is how I arrived at where I'm at today. But really, it was always a focus on life and lifestyle and how I wanted to live my life and what kind of um, choices I wanted to make for my life, for my family, um, and how I was going to structure and mold work and the practice of law around that as opposed to the other way around. Um, so I did the normal thing. I went and worked for a big firm. I put in the hours. I was a slave to the billables. Um, that was right out of law school, eh? And where did you go to law school again? Was I went it to Thomas law, Jefferson? Thomas Jefferson. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I worked for a period in San Diego. And then I went chasing the bigger jobs in L.A., um, the bigger litigation on a massive scale that I, was, I thought I was looking for, that I wanted to have experience in and where I wanted to go with my education. And it just turned out not to be as fulfilling as I expected it to be. Um, and so I started looking for other things. And at that time, um, my husband was starting his own firm. He had taken off from working from someone el- for someone else. He always knew that he wanted to work for himself, so that's what he did. I was still doing the working for an employer, working for a big firm, working downtown, feeling you know all of the working girlness of that. Um, and it just turned out not to be what I wanted exactly. So started looking at other things, saw him um, getting clients on his own, running his own practice, trying to figure out his way there. And it just turned out that maybe I should t- step away from the big firm and figure out what's more important and a way to kind of practice the kind of law I want to practice that is personally fulfilling to me mm-hmm. um, and am still able to be the kind of attorney I want to be that ultimately is always about you know helping people. Right. So what was that missing for you when you were working for the big firm? Definitely. And what aspect of that life uh, and the way that they were running their practice uh, made it so so you didn't feel like you were making the impact? Was it the kind of law? Was it the, the way in which they were billing? Like, what was that? Well, I think it was just the 
personal satisfaction of it really wasn't there. It was completely almost void, really. It's a bunch of paperwork. You're working up with a bunch of other people doing just paperwork. Um, even where there is the litigation and the, and the trial practice and, and going to court and making argument, still the client that you're working for is you know someone else working for the big firm. It's not really uh, a big win in court or a big loss in court. Yeah, it's good and bad, but it's not really affecting anybody's life really and it's not even really affecting anyone's bottom line significantly unless you're working on the really humongous you know class action lawsuit um, which of course I wasn't at that time because you know I'm still junior attorney um, you have to put in the hours and the time to get up to senior level to work those kinds of cases and it just didn't seem like the kind of work that I was doing that with the level inv of investment and the years that I spent in my education it really wasn't the kind of satisfaction that I was getting back from the work that I was expecting to get from that kind of um, dedication and devotion that I had just spent, you know, however many years of my adult education and money, right, uh, uh, to get that kind of level of education, be able to serve other people. It wasn't satisfying to me personally. It didn't seem like I was having a good effect on anything that I was doing, even when I was doing good work, and I know I was, and getting good results um, on my cases and for the companies that I was working for. It just didn't feel like that was something that I could do the rest of my career. Yeah. Um, it was something that I did long enough to realize, mm, this ain't it. I got to find something else. Um, and I had already at that point had experiences um, with other firms in family law. I had one firm that I had worked for that did juvenile dependency law. Mm -hmm. So I found kind of, and then my husband went off on his own and did family law. He's always done family law. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, uh, touchstones. I had little experiences with it here and there. Enough to know that not all law practice is like the big civil litigation. Um, very impersonal, just basically about the bottom line, how quickly you can get in and out of cases to be able to save the bottom line for your client. Um, and I knew that there was more out there for my practice that I could find personally rewarding. And so yes. I went off looking for that. Yeah. Well, I get the sense that and this is probably, you know, I can imagine there's, there's a lot of attorneys out there that went to, went to law school because you know they you know they wanted to make a lot of money mm -hmm. and do great work mm -hmm. but they also really wanted to uh, have a positive impact on people's lives to make a difference right and i can imagine there's a lot of attorneys that you know come out of law school that have the fervor and desire to want to make that impact and serve people in, in a meaningful way and, and just don't find that necessarily in some of the environments mm -hmm. that are available you know and, and you know and in some ways it's, you're still going to get good experience and and through you know the context of experiencing that kind of give you some clarity around like okay well that's not for me right, right? right. whereas for some it is right yeah. they like the big civil litigation and and they want those kinds of cases and so forth and you can work your way up right, right. so that's another path but I can imagine that there's a lot of attorneys that that's not the path isn't there for them mm -hmm. but maybe haven't uh, had the confidence or had the wherewithal to be able to you know start a practice on their own or, or make that transition make that pivot yeah so for you was there a, a defining moment or uh, a period, you know, a period in which you you made that decision, or you you know you got to a certain point, you know, breaking point, or was there an opportunity that opened up for you? Like, how did you make the sh the shift from you know the fi the financial security mm -hmm. of you know full time job, yeah. right, and and so forth, into uh, you know going into a direction that was more in alignment with your purpose? I think I, I just took it f so far that I was in a position where I, there really wasn't any choice anymore. The 
the situation that I was in was untenable. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to maintain, that it would not be a life worth living. I yeah. mean, the practice of so law... The point of no return. Right. Yeah. The practice of law, of course, everyone knows, is very demanding. Your billables, the client interactions, you know, what clients demand of, demand of you, what you're expected to, the performance... Um, deliverance, like everything that's involved in your practice of law is very demanding, whether you work for yourself or for someone else. And I think where I was at that point, it just, the payoff was not good enough for me to continue. So I had to figure out something else. And I knew that um, I, my strengths were not just in doing the paper pushing, not putting in the long hours, working seven days a week, you know, right. 90 hours a week, um, the things that all young attorneys do. Right. Um, that's not my strength, just working hard. I want something that feels rewarding. I want to feel like I can make a difference. Everybody goes to law school, I feel mostly, to make that difference, to feel like they have an impact on people's lives and make things better. Yes. Um, and I wasn't getting any of that with where right. I was. So let's talk about that transition you made. I, I believe you mentioned that you uh, started working for your husband in, in his family law firm. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you could talk just a bit about the way he ran that practice uh, and how you had, you guys were engineering your lifestyle first and then, you know, basically engineering the practice around your lifestyle yeah. rather than your lifestyle around the practice. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, I think a lot of that was born out of just the frustration of where I came from, um, working for that firm and not being able to do that anymore. Um, so it was a complete, let me reorganize our entire lives because this is not the way to do it and I can't do it for this, you know, till I'm 60 or 70 years old. It's not, I'm not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Right. I'm not gonna keep it up. Um, so at first, you know, there was a point at which I took a break. I regrouped, <laughs> right? Yeah. I need to uh, figure out what my priorities are and it's not working 90 hours a week and not feeling rewarded. So let's take a moment and figure out what my priorities actually are. Um, and because I did have the luxury or the benefit of having a husband who was also an attorney, yep. another professional who was just starting out on his own, we could kind of put our two heads together and figure that out together. And between the two of us, I don't know if it was him or me, um, but somehow we came up with the bright idea of, well, there's two professionals. Do we both need to be working 40 hours a week to be able to have the kind of life that we want? Or could we scale that back some to be able to make more room for the life that we want? Yeah. Do we really need two professional incomes to be able to live where we want and go where we want and do what we want? And so I guess the idea kind of was born out of, I would like to go to the beach more. Uh -huh. I would like to go to the park more. Yeah. I would like to go visit uh, places during the week, Monday through Friday, when there's not a humongous crowd. Right. Um, and be able to actually walk up to the painting at the museum instead of see it from really far behind because there's so many people in front of you. Um, and how do we make that happen? And um, I think the way that we kind of figured that out was just to do what was important to us first. Go yes. to the museum, go to the beach, go to the park, and then figure out how are we going to make client calls, yes. do the work, and meet deadlines, and go to court, and get all that done at the same time. Right. How are we going to you know, mold that around it, like you said? And one of the ways that we figured that out was we each had our strengths. He could go to court. I could do the doc prep. We both could do the client contacts. And between the two of us, just kind of fill the gaps. Yes. Right. He played to each one of our strengths. And if we did it that way, um, 
he wouldn't necessarily have to work full time and I wouldn't necessarily have to work full time and we could still kind of manage the same kind of caseload that we needed between the two of us right. to have the life that we wanted. So the way that we kind of evolved our practice, I think, um, was with that focal point of how do we bridge the gap on this problem of billing. I don't want to hire a billing person. I don't want to hire an assistant because then we have to put them somewhere and that means I have to be there. That means I can't be at the park and the beach and the whatever, right? So how do we fix that? Um, How do we deal with all the paperwork? How do we deal with clients who want to meet you in an office? Uh, Oh, there's that virtual office option. So all of those ideas and looking for those ideas and those solutions were born of that how do we do this so that we both don't have to be in a cubicle under fluorescent lights or in the courthouse all day? Yeah. Well, and this is this is key. It's um, a lot of attorneys just get started practicing, and then clients start coming in the door, yeah. and now they're getting real busy, and things just grow up and they ramp, you know. So, yeah. but they, you know, there's an opportunity there, which is which you embrace for their beginning is to ask the question, well, what is our my ideal practice? Right? Like, what is the balance? Like, what if I were to, you know, to, you know, have a magic wand and imagine, you know, you know, the the type of life I would want to live and how that would show up in the form of practice that I would be practicing? Because you obviously love what you do. You want to make an impact and and positively serve other other folks mm-hmm. through your practice. But at the same time, you don't want it to own you in right. the sense that you don't have the capacity or the freedom or the liberty to have some control of your time location, uh, like you said, the days of the week you're working, right. uh, and whether you need to come into an office each day. Yeah. And that primary question that you asked at the beginning literally dictated everything, that you, all the decisions you would make beyond that, right? Yeah. And I don't know, I honestly don't know how long I would have. it would have taken me to get to that point if I hadn't been so burned by the fire yeah. you know, at the very outset. Um, I don't know how long it would have taken me to look up from my desk and go, I really want to be doing this for the rest of my life, putting in 70, 80 hours a week. Like, just me working hard is not the goal. Yes. I can work hard, you know, whatever days and hours I put into it, I'm going to work hard. Doesn't mean that I'm doing any better for anybody, including myself, just because I work that hard or have that many assistants or employees or, or you know, the bigger, better office. Or uh, That's not the metric by which I want to measure my practice or my life. Right. Okay, so once you guys made the decision, okay, this is how we, this is the ways in which we want to live, and you took some time to imagine that, spending time at the beach, mm-hmm. you know, being at the park. So some of the questions started to rise. Well, okay, well, how could we be doing this, running our practice from here? Because it wasn't also well, it wasn't necessarily, you know, we'll engineer a practice so we could take three days off, right? Right, or you know, work. 30, you work 30 hours a week, 30 hours a week. And it's also notable as well that, you know, usually when two attorneys come together, it's like, how can we maximize right. the revenue, the growth, right? Yeah. This is a very different question where it's just like, how can we maximize the balance between, you know, having making good money, mm-hmm. but also having a life that we're, that we can live and sustain for the long term, mm-hmm. right? So that's a, that's a very different uh, intention, right? So your way of going about that was, okay, well, we don't necessarily have to just take you know take Fridays off to feel start feeling good about the right. balance. How how can we engineer our practice right into the ways we live every day? Right. Such that you could take phone calls from from the beach and right. set up your laptop and throw a MiFi device, and that's gonna you know, you're gonna have some 
we're gonna have some pretty good examples later on of like you know working from the train all kind yeah. of stuff which we'll unpack in, you know, in a bit here so yeah what are some of the mechanisms that you started to put into place because and i can imagine there's a lot of attorneys that have had that idea like hey you know like maybe i can work from work from anywhere be mm -hmm. location independent mm -hmm. have you know have a mobile lifestyle mm -hmm. right um, and nowadays it's quite possible yeah right? it's very it's never been easier to do that with the technology that's available so can you just talk about some of the the things that you implemented in order to make that possible for you and your husband when you made the jump to go out on your own? Well, sure. I think the first thing was you don't want to be in a physical space, so there's the virtual offices that they have everywhere now. Um, there's a whole bunch of services that you can find just by Googling these days that really weren't that much or that many that I remember when we started out. But things like e-typist or uh, document preparation, you know, that just is on um, a pro per project basis. You know, so if you want to sit down and you go into a deep dive on a, a work session and you need to write a really long brief and you're going to dictate it into a, a your phone or some kind of recording device, that you can send it off to somebody and they'll type it out. You're not going to sit at the computer <laughs> and do it um, so that you can do it from the beach or the park, technically. Right. Um, there's the virtual reception. Like every uh, possible service that you would need for a law firm, there is a solution out there for people that will do it like Unbundle does piecemeal. Right. Right. And you just need to find the ones that fit for you. Um, so there wasn't I can't think of any one particular service like that that we used the whole way through. We just kind of um, tried various ones along the way and found ones that fit for us, um, like the uh, the Clio cloud service uh, yes. management firm. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. Um, like the Ruby receptionist. Right. right. Um, and just kind of piecemealed all those kind of together and when the ipad was just out and i can remember um scrolling through apps like every day and oh there's a new one when you used to be able to scroll 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 through apps like in a couple minutes because uh -huh. that's all there were you're right right um like everybody 2007 or something right like that, everybody yeah. had a new app for whatever it was that the new business mobile business person needed you know on the go and so we would try them and figure out if they worked or didn't work or the strengths or weaknesses that they had but i would say that we are constantly trying those things out things to help with document preparation yeah. things to help with client contact right. things to help with lead management things to help with um you know attorney appearances uh, when you couldn't get to court because you got double booked or, you know, couldn't make it for some reason. Um, so there's a whole bunch of services out there uh, more than we could ever, you know, sign up for. And we've done for the past 10 years, pretty much at yeah. various points. Um, so we just kind of patchworked that all together kind of on a constant basis <coughs> as needed and as it worked out and dropped ones that didn't work or were too expensive or did, didn't feel our complete need. Um, so... Cool. So I think what would be helpful perhaps is, you know, we could fast forward a little bit as it relates to some of these tools and give people a window into uh, the systems that you have in place and maybe, you know, walk through, you know, the a client experience from like when a friendly comes in and so forth. So we'll, we'll cover that in just a minute, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we get there, one of the things that, that makes this so much more possible for you is that you do... You implement, start implementing a lot of limited scope on bundled legal services in your practice. Mm -hmm. And that lends itself well to having technology that streamlines uh, the delivery of services, doing flat rates, not getting involved in heavily contested litigation unless you're really yeah. you know, deciding that's, that's really what, you, what, what is the, in the best interest of you and the client. Mm -hmm. And so can we, maybe we could just unpack a little bit how you first started with 
offering limited scope services. You talk about like what that means to you and how that's impacted your practice. And then maybe once we've you know really laid that out, then we can start to talk about you know how you use some of these tools to deliver these limited scope services, which is you know I think we we talked about is almost ninety percent or ninety percent or more more of the clients that you enroll are enrolling for some type of limited scope or unbundled legal service. Yeah. Um, So I think in the beginning, we just started doing uh, flat fees, uh, unbundled uh, piecemeal work, um, just out of necessity, because we didn't want to hire the billing uh, person to come in and input it or, you know, do the invoicing every month. Uh, Nobody, neither my husband nor myself, wanted to sit there and review billing or invoicing once a month. Um, So it was kind of, oh, this is an easy shortcut. Let's just cut out the billing person and we can just do flat fees. Easy. Okay. Um, So I think that's where that originally came from. Um, But then as we started using flat fees more and more and limited scope only for pieces of each person's case, um, the benefits of that it became apparent that that was much better for us and how we were choosing to run the firm and in our lives um, because you weren't involved in the day-to-day, I'm going to say, micromanagement of the case. Right. Um, so, you know, all of the phone calls, all of the client contacts, all of the contacts of the opposing counsel, all the calls to the clerk, all the, you know, what date is this hearing on, all that is taken care of by the client. And they're just contacting us to say, this is my hearing date. Uh-huh. This is what somebody told me I need. I don't have any idea what that is, but can you help me with that? Um, so a lot of the things that really rack up and I think inflate a lot of attorney billing and create a really big bills for clients that really aggravate them um, are those things that don't really further the case that technically you're not supposed to bill for, but client, our attorneys are completely entitled to receiving you know, the value of their time for dedicating their time to working on those things. But... If you can kind of cut out those things and just let me do the work, which is do the paperwork, go to the court appearance, make the argument, right. um, it really lessens the client's uh, fees, the amount they're going to come out the pocket for their case. Yeah. And it also, on my end, it's beneficial because I'm not dealing with the aggravation of the little tiny things, in my opinion. Well, and having to micro-bill as yeah. well, right? Yeah. And I don't think anybody feels good about that. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't know that any attorneys really feel good about charging thirty or forty-five dollars for an email. Right. You know, I know clients certainly don't. Yeah. Um, and if I can kind of alleviate that and not really feel it on my bottom line, then win-win. Well, yeah. Let's let's clarify one thing real quick. So when we're talking about flat rates, some attorneys may confuse that as being like, <clears throat> "Oh, you've got a contested divorce, I'll charge you five thousand for as a flat rate." Right. You know. It, Whereas, as opposed to limiting the scope to specific some specific tasks, mm-hmm. and it's going to be flat rate for these things, and I'm not going to be doing those things. So, mm-hmm. can we uh, perhaps be a little, a little more specific or detailed on like some example types of limited scope services, or an example limited scope service you would offer to the client, the, the type of conversation you would have with them around uh, the the different options and how to arrive at an option that would work best for them, mm-hmm. and and how that could express itself as a flat rate. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I know that there are a lot of attorneys, I've had the conversations with them myself, about freaking out about how can you possibly quote them a flat fee for a certain amount of service and you have no idea how much time you're going to spend on it. And to that, I really just say, well, aren't you doing the same thing, that kind of uh, judgment and that kind of offer is happening when you quote someone a retainer. 
Right. You're going to quote them 3,000, 5,000, 25,000, whatever it is, you're making a judgment about how much upfront you're going to need in a retainer to make it beneficial for you to work the case, even if you're billing monthly and sending invoices monthly. Um, and I think that kind of analysis is just happening on a very small scale with the flat fees, which is, okay, someone comes to me and they need a divorce uh, started. They need okay. an initial motion done at the same time. Um, what I'm trying to think about is, in my interaction with them, how much client contact and hand-holding do they need throughout the conversation? Okay. So I can figure out, is this someone that I can, you know, quote my absolute rock-bottom um, fee amount and know that they will really just leave me alone to do the work and punch out the paperwork and be done? Yes. Or is this someone who's going to need a couple more phone calls? It's not going to be, I can't just call and say, hey, give me this piece of information and click um, as someone who's going to keep me on the phone for half an hour, and that's going to factor into my flat fee quote. So okay. maybe that's not someone I would charge a flat fee of $500 to open up their case. It's something you're evaluating in the consultation based on. So what, yeah, what, are, you, what are you thinking about? It's like, okay, how, like how talkative is this person? What's their personality type? What, what's the complexity of the case? How many lawyers have they been through? How difficult is it going to be for me to get the information that I need? And how quickly am I going to be able to do that from them? Am yes. I going to be able to just send them an email saying, I need X, Y, and Z, and then I'm going to get it right back? Right. Or am I going to get it back in my, maybe like two weeks because I have to remind them a couple times and they still don't really understand and I have to call them? All of that is going into my consideration of how much I'm going to quote them. And sure. what I'm saying is that kind of consideration it's happening when you're doing hourly too. And am I gonna tell this person that the deposit they need to make into the attorney client trust account is 3,000 right. or 5,000? Right. How much are they gonna spend in my fees billed hourly in the first month? And you need to figure factor that in when you give that quote to them. And that's just what I'm doing with the flat fees too. So someone that you know I, would, uh, I could tell is really straight to the point, knows uh, what they're talking about, isn't really all over the place. They're just very direct and we're done with our initial phone call in like 10 or 15 minutes. You know, quoting them a $500 flat fee to punch out a couple papers, I know it's not going to be a big hassle. Um, some other person that might need a longer phone call um, and really isn't aware of uh, all the facts that, and the questions that I'm asking and not really able to give me the information uh, right away that I need it, I know they're going to take a little bit more from me in terms of time, effort, energy to be able to deliver to them what they're asking me to do which is punch out this paperwork and get it filed, get it yes, served, whatever right. it is. Um, and so for that person, I'm not going to charge, I'm not going to quote my rock bottom flat fee quote. Uh, maybe I'll bump that up to $1,000 instead because I know it's going to take more from me. Okay. Um, but so packets of paperwork, 500 a pop, 1,000 a pop, whatever it is, there's wiggle room in there. Sure. Um, and same things for hearing appearances. You know, um, if there's a hearing appearance that I know that's not going to be that big of a deal, because in my experience, I know you, most of the time you can go to a hearing for, I call them administrative hearings. They're just, you know, show up and pick another calendar date, right? right Tell right. the judge, yes, we are moving along, Your Honor. Um, those kinds of things I wouldn't <coughs> expect to go all day. Right. Unless, you know, you just get a really bad day, and sometimes you do, yeah. and then you get put to the bottom of the, uh, the last called, right? But not often, not right. most of the time. Yeah. If it's just an administrative hearing, you know, quoting someone a rock-bottom flat fee price is, you know, no skin off my nose. If I know it's going to be a, a gnarly hearing, an evidentiary hearing, it's going to require testimony and, and introduction of documents, I know that that might be something that goes all day. So I'm not going to quote them the rock bottom price that I'm hoping to get in and out on. You're going to have to build a buffer to take into account the 
possibility that it's going to take more time than you expect. There's right. like a statistically likely possibility that's going to happen. Right. right. And right. I also, I think I, I also, what really I think freed me up to doing the flat fees, especially ever since I signed up with Unbundled, was changing my perspective on um, how to recoup from the client or whoever is paying you um, the value of the time, effort, and energy that you're putting into their case. Um, I think the hourly billing really makes, on the attorney side, you focus on whether or not they're paying you what you're worth. And I think that really kind of, that dynamic creates a bit of a tension that doesn't really help anybody on the case. Mm. Whereas the flat fee, I know that I've already quoted them an amount. Sure. I'm not real. I'm bill, I'm logging my time because I'm required to do so, but I'm not sending out invo invoices. I'm not sending them out monthly to show how much work I'm spending on their case or how much time um, and the value of that. Therefore, I know that I'm just going, I've made a promise to do this part sure. and for X amount of dollars for, you know, do this X amount of work for X amount of dollars and get it done. Right. And I know that we both decided on the value of that for them and for me. Right. And there's no real renegotiation on that. We've already made that deal. Right. So the tension, there, there is none. The tension is on me doing it, getting it done. Yes, yeah, because the onus is on you because they've, they've already agreed to the rate. You've agreed right. to the rate. Now it's like, well, this is what I'm going to get paid for this. And so it's up to me to determine how long it's going to take me to get this done. Right. And to the... To, to the to the extent that I can do that in the most efficient way possible is how you will be able to benefit or not right. based on like an effective hourly rate calculation. Right, right? and at the quality, kind of on you. with the quality of work that I expect of myself because I'm the professional, right? That's right. And I know better. Um, you hand it off to the client, they may not know whether this is good work or bad work, but that's part of being the professional is you are your own judge on that. Um, but I think the flat fee and the unbundled really kind of takes it just evaporates that kind of tension of they're not going to I'm putting in 12 hours for this motion and there's no way that after I send out my bill they're ever going to pay me a dime more because yes. I know they don't have any more other than what they deposited and maybe they'll pay it off slowly over the next however many years but that is not there right and the the only thing that is there is I need to get this done because they paid it paid it to me and it needs to be done and that's just one little step I'm not looking down the road because down the road they will decide whether or not they want to continue to hire me. Right. Um, so it's in my interest to get it done as quickly, as efficiently, and with the level of quality that you know I think would serve the client and would have them rehire me as quickly as possible. Okay. So let's un let's unpack this concept of limited scope, mm -hmm. right? And contrast it from the way in which you would normally most attorneys would work with a client dealing with a contested family law matter, right? And and the ways in which you are limiting the scope of your involvement to either specific agreed upon tasks or specific segments of the case. You know, what we would call as the vertical, which is I'm doing these specific tasks, clients doing these specific tasks, versus the horizontal, which is uh, we're going to do work up to this point in your case, or I'm only going to handle these specific issues, right? Yeah. So can, we, can you talk about the different ways that you will limit the scope and how you, I mean, there's the conversation with the client, which is, you know, an important aspect of that of saying, you know, here's the different options and so forth. But, you know, maybe we just first start with like, okay, here's the ways you can limit the scope of your involvement and empower the client to handle some parts on their own. Mm. What are some typical ways you do that? Uh, and do you also do it on the segments by segment? Um, 
just so that lawyers that don't have as much experience with unbundled services recognize the difference between, okay, I'm now your lawyer and I'm doing this from A to Z mm -hmm. versus like, okay, we're setting some very specific limited parameters and then, and it's within these parameters that I'm quoting this flat rate and this is the agreement I'm making with you and the client. Well, I think the, the easiest way that I've been able to divide it up is there's um, work that is paperwork, there's work that is court appearances, um, and then there's work that's kind of process, right? So work uh, that is paperwork is, of course, putting the forms together, putting the motion together, getting it filed, getting it served. Um, the court appearance, of course, it depends what kind of court appearance, so you can kind of vary your flat fees, your quotes on that. And then there's process, which the easiest one for me to give clients and anyone else an example of is like submitting a judgment. <coughs> it's not, you're not going to court. It's not a whole bunch of paperwork. Putting it together is it's kind like a of procedure. It's kind of a yeah. bear, but really you need to send it to the court and you kind of need to manage whether it comes back or gets kicked back or you know it needs to be fixed or resubmitted or whatever. That's kind of a process. So for that process, I will assign a flat fixed fee quote for okay. that piece. And so what I tell do, clients... Do, do you break this for clients down into these three categories? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Cool. Uh, and what I tell clients is there's uh, however they want to break it apart, it's possible. Okay. But there are these kind of general categories, um, and this is kind of how I do things. And whatever parts they want to um, choose to handle on their own, that they can save themselves some additional fees by doing that. And, you know, I tell them it's like, you know, those old books like Choose Your Own Adventure, if right. you remember those, right? Like goosebumps, yeah. Right. So you choose whether do you, I can prep this document packet for you, and when it's ready, you can take it to filing. You can have your cousin serve it or whatever it is. That if you want to handle that aspect of that process, you can. If you want me to handle it, this is how much it's going to cost. Right. Right. And you can decide. You don't decide now. You can decide when we get to that point whether you want to handle it or you want me to. Right. And at that point, I will tell you, this is, remember, this is how much I told you it was going to cost. You want me to do it? Okay, fine. I send them the link for payment and we're off and rolling again. Um, and a limited scope agreement as far as like this is what every I'm going to be doing specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and so that helps because not only do they have to pay for the whole uh, big chunk up front, they can just pay piece by piece along the way. But it also helps them, I think, because no matter how much money you have, it's always hard to come out the pocket for someone you just met. <coughs> right. Because hopefully you, you're not really intimate with your divorce lawyer. Right. Um, hopefully you only see one every once in a while. Right. Yes. And having to sit down with them and, you know, forking over three, five thousand, twenty five thousand dollars is, you it's know, big it's big, yeah. even if you have a ton of money. Yeah. I certainly don't want to spend it on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so the flat fee really helps. I find sometimes even for a client I know is going to take a little bit more. I might quote, excuse me, I might quote the rock bottom price just to get them in the door. Sure. Because. Rock bottom be around 500 yeah, or so? Yeah, 500 or? for the initial packet, the petition packet. Sure. Fine, 500. You want a motion at the same time, depending on the motion, maybe five, 500, maybe $1,000. Okay. So for all in, for a motion and the initial packet, maybe 1500 That doesn't include court fees or courier or process server or anything. But you can kind of take that as it goes. With and, the appearance kind of thing as well? And the yeah. appearance. We can talk about the appearance yeah. later because okay. the appearance is not going to happen for two or three months. I see. Right. Sure. So they can decide, yeah, I want you right now. I will pay that right now because I have it and I want to secure you for that date. Or they can decide later after they've already gotten to know you because they just paid you five and they saw you turn around the paperwork in two weeks or whatever. Uh -huh. yes. And they're now comfortable with you handing over the twenty five hundred or the whatever it is for the next step. Um, so because the process of getting divorced 
kind of lends itself to a drawn out kind of thing. You, have, you can't get divorced, you know, inside of six months usually, right? Um, it helps with the unbundled piece by piece yes. because they can make payments over time. I know I'm on limited scope. I just finished doing the paperwork. I'm not doing anything on the case. A clerk calls, a, you know, uh, someone from the courtroom calls, opposing counsel calls. They're not calling me. They're calling the client. Right. And if there's an issue, the client calls me and that creates another limited scope because they want me to handle whatever it is that popped up. And we should clarify at this point that California is one of the states where if you're preparing documents for a client, it's a non-disclosure state right. where you don't have to disclose that, hey, I'm an attorney, I prepared this. Whereas there are some states in the country where you have to disclose that you prepare these documents and right. here's the limited scope agreement. And so it, as far as the, how that procedure works, um, you'll want to check with your, your local state bar and the ethics opinions of your state, one of the great resources is the Unbundling Resource Center um, that was provided by the American Bar Association. And they have, you know, state-by-state state ethics opinions. Uh, we can link to it in the show notes on uh, the these types of things or as, as far as the disclosure, uh, limited scope, limited appearances, the availability of forms in your state as far as, you know, limited scope uh, contract retainer agreements and also the notes of limited appearance, which we could talk, I think we we talk, we'll touch on that as far as appearances. Um, but yeah, so. But so it's just the life of the case lends yes. itself to go at pay as you go, step by step. Right. So that for the big ticket items like an appearance at court, you're going to know in advance, usually a couple, two or three months, maybe four, depending. And clients can take that opportunity if they know already that they want to hire you to make monthly payments, just so long as I'm paying them full, fine. Right. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I would think. This is the feedback we get from a lot of other unbundled attorneys. Is like the clients will often say, "Well, you know, I just want you to handle everything for me. You know, I, I'd rather just you do things from start to finish." Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of attorneys will say, "Okay, well, you know, if you could fit this initial retainer in your budget, thousand five hundred, and then you can make these payments per month, mm-hmm. then you know, we can just do everything for you." Mm-hmm. And it, that seems like a like an easy path, easier path. Like, "Oh, I just want you to do all it for me, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, how do you push back on that to some degree? Push back in the sense of like. Because the reality is, if you're going to be paying a retainer, and they're and they're and they're going the hourly billable, billable model, um, really what you're doing is you're just making it a little bit more accessible because you're not pay, requiring as much upfront, right. and they're using software to like fit a fit a payment plan that works in their budget. But in reality, it's still roughly the same amount of hours because you're not necessarily empowering the client to handle parts on their own, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what. So it's, it isn't actually really any more affordable right. in, as far as total cost. Right. It's just more accessible because they can pay as they go. Right. Right. So whereas when you, you know, are providing unbundled services to, you know, so many clients that you do, you are actually saving them on the cost mm-hmm. of what they're going to pay, you know, out of pocket for their, for their legal issues. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, it's going to be more affordable because it's less hours. Right. Because they're handling some parts. So how do you empower the client? Well, first of all, when they, you know, I'm sure you get some clients that say, well, I just want you to do everything for me. Talk about that conversation real quick. And then also uh, we can maybe start to explain a little bit more about how you empower the client to handle some parts <laughs> on their own. What are some of the things that clients can you know, more easily do on their own? How do you, what are the types of things you can coach them on doing that can start to reduce the cost for themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, well, as far as pushing back on the hourly retainers, I don't find that you have to push back that hard. Okay. Um, one of the reasons maybe why is because when, when I have that conversation with a client and they say, 
because I give them the option. Look, there's two different kinds. There's the old school hourly big retainer. There's the new school limited scope, you know, unbundled. Um, old school, new school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, want, you want me to take everything from your shoulders because either your job is too demanding or you just can't handle or you just don't want to. We can do that. Um, but it's going to cost you and it's going to be a big chunk up front. Um, and so when I usually when I tell them what the big chunk is and then I tell them or you could do the unbundled and manage some of it yourself and I will still be here. I'm still a reference for you. Right. Right. You right. can still contact me. You still have my number. You can still send me emails for this, that or the other thing. I know it's only going to take a second here or there. And all I'm doing is maintaining the client contact so that when they do want to hire me, I'm the one that they come to. Sure. Right. For the next however, 18 years sometimes. Right. Sure. Um, so. When I tell them that you manage your own case and, you know, it could be 1500 or 25 or you're going to hire me for full representation and you're going to pay for it, you know, it's going to be a $5,000 retainer and your first month's couple of bills might be 10000 It's not that difficult. Okay, right. When you really it's unpack what hard. it's actually going to cost if right. you want me to do everything for right. you. Right. You're going to pay a big retainer up front and then your first month's bill might not cover it. Right. You still might have to come out the pocket to replenish your retainer and pay on your invoice. Right. So, you know, the first couple months you might be out 15 grand. And would you rather do that or you want to just pay me 1500 and get the paperwork done and just kind of see how it goes? Sure. So what 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 are the types of things that you're helping the client do themselves and how do you help them do it do those aspects themselves? Um, well, uh, I help the clients uh, realize that they can go to hearings on their own, like the administrative ones, picking a new date, okay. right. uh, just telling the judge what the status is and whether or not they filed a judgment or they're moving the case along. Um, those are things you could just show up for and tell you're not arguing about anything. You're not worried about getting slapped with any kind of order that's going to impact your life. Um, you're just going to kind of show up and say, yes, your honor. Um, I tell them which hearings those are. Okay. And you can sure. go. Right. Or, yes, you can pay me because you can't afford to take off work or you just don't want to or you're freaked out about talking to a judge in the courtroom. Sure, I will go. Absolutely. But you don't have to. Okay. You can go yourself. And these are those ones. I will tell you which ones they are. Okay, perfect. And a lot of times from clients, the response is, really? You'll tell me which ones you don't have to go to? To so, save So I don't money? pay you? Yeah. They're a little bit taken aback by that because I guess everybody considers the attorneys to be the grubby, money-hungry you know, I'm going to charge you up the wazoo for any little telephone call, text, email, whatever. And so when I'm upfront with them about that, that's the kind of reaction I get. Right. I'm not trying to, you know, take you for a ride. You want to get divorced. I want to help you get divorced. Right. What could be simpler? So I'll tell them what hearings they can go to. There's also part of the divorce in California is you need to do your preliminary and final declarations of disclosure. There are some problems with having clients do those on their own in terms of they don't understand the legal ramifications of filling things out this way or that way or not including attachments or, you know, the ramifications, right? So, but as far as putting the information on the forms, I don't know whether they own real estate. I don't know how much their Bank of America credit card account is. So I tell them there's no real reason to have me do any of that for you. Okay. You want me to? Yeah, I'll quote you a flat fee. You can have me do it. Sure. And I'll sit on the phone with you or I'll make you email me all the documents and we'll put it in. Uh, fine, I'll do it. Sure. But your time, your money would be better spent saving those dollars for me to go to the actual hearing where we're going to argue and get you orders. Okay. So you can put your packet together right. and you can send it to me and I'll take two seconds to look at it and see if you're you know, sticking your foot in your mouth or um, there might be some consequences to you not filling out this portion correctly or this goes here or that goes there. It's going to take me two seconds. 
Sure. You know, so okay. those kinds of sections I tell clients you can do on your own if you want to save yourself some money. And inevitably, they're always, um, there's always the client that says, yeah, that's a great idea. Let me go do it. And then they just can't get it together. <laughs> okay. Right? Sure. And what they email me is just a pile of, no, man, this is not good. You can't serve this. You can't file it. You can't do this on your own. I mean, go ahead. You can, because I'm not on the case, right? Sure, that's right. But I'm telling you, if you do this, it's not going to be good. There's going to be consequences. So you need to hire me for this. But okay. that's a conversation we have, you know, two after weeks a month. After they've given shot. After right? I've already told them, go do it on your own. There's no reason why you can't. And so when I tell that them. piece of it, right? Yeah. Right. And when right. I tell them, no, this, you can't. You cannot. You need to hire me for this. We've already established the relationship. They already trust me that I'm not out to just kind of charge them for nothing. Right. And that when I tell them, no, you do need to hire me for this part, they trust me, they believe me, and they do. Um, there are other parts, of course, of the case that I tell them, you have to hire an attorney. You know, my least favorite uncle I would tell to hire an attorney on this part, right? You cannot process a judgment <laughs> on your own. You can. It's complicated. It's a mess. It's going to take years off your life. Don't do it. Just hire someone. It doesn't okay. have to be me. Hire someone. But these are the parts that you're going to need an attorney for. These are the parts that you don't. And all that does is really help our attorney-client relationship anyway, having those conversations. And all that really does is increase the likelihood that they're going to hire me for other things, too. That's right. It's like you're having a conversation about how can I save you? I mean, how can I save you money? How can I prevent you from spending a dime more than you have to. Right, because my... And you're like, because you're sitting in their chair and you're like, okay, if I was in your position, I'd want to limit the cost as best as I can. Right. And I want to be transparent with you, but here's the things I think you could probably do. Here's a, here's a, all the different kinds. So I want to try to cut down the cost for you. Let's limit the scope. Let's let, empower you to do some of the things so that we can reduce the burden, financial burden that's going to have on you and your family. Right, because my obligation to them doesn't stop with just, you know, getting them divorced or the the visitation schedule or the property division that they're looking for, I'm also there to make sure that they don't spend a ton of money on the divorce that they don't need to. I mean, it's not just the results of the case. Your attorney is supposed to help you. I mean, the reason why the attorney is coming into your life is to help you with your life. Yes. So how is it going to be helpful if they get you the custody orders or the property division or the divorce that you want? But in the meantime, you know, they take 50 grand. Yep. Like, that's not very helpful. Right. I mean, certainly worth it. Yes, absolutely. But it could be done better. Sure. Well, there, uh, inevitably, I'm sure there was a lot of steps along that way through that A to Z process where they spent that 50 grand. Yeah. Where they probably could have reduced it down to, say, 15 or 20. Yeah. Right? If, if. So, so, are there any others? So, we've got, if for those that are taking notes, for example, uh, listening to this interview, we've got administrative hearings. We got preparing the documents and inputting information to forms. Mm -hmm. We could talk about perhaps some of the software you might use to make it electronic for someone to do that. I don't know if you have any kind of uh, intake questionnaire or something like that online. We well, yeah, we have, you know, you send out questionnaires by email. Uh -huh. um, there's the Clio, you know, uh, fields for inputting and document preparation that are automatic. But the document assembly, uh -huh. which is merge fields, yeah. Yeah, um, there's, you know, the forms, uh, software that we use, the LAYA, the DocuSign for when you want them to fill out the form to help you with sections of the form. Um, what else? This is, I mean, these, these are these are all like LawYard alone. For example, is this document assembly system where you can uh, you know send someone a link, they can get get the, get access to the form on the internet, fill that out, and then that's going to auto assemble the documents. Uh, basically, take that information and auto populate it into the necessary places on the forms and documents that you're needing help with repairing that right. you're going to be preparing for them. Right. Right. 
So it, auto, it auto populates and it's also it works with um, it uh, electronic signatures too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so in many ways, you're that work is offloaded to that client. I mean, it's, it's you know it's yeah. no longer something that you have to input yeah. manually yourself, and it's something that's user friendly enough that most people can do it. Yeah. Um, and so, do it, and do it from their cell phone. And so you can you can imagine like you know. 10 years ago or something like that, it would be very difficult, perhaps, a little bit more challenging maybe, to offload that some of that work to the client in the sense of like, okay, well, they, they oh, would yeah. have to like write it on paper, yeah. administrative, then you gotta still take that and like data enter it yeah. into the, actually there would be no data entry at that point, right? Yeah. Okay, we gotta take their documents and then like, you know, transcribe it into the, the actual written forms, mm -hmm. right? And so, in many ways, this limited scope and empowering the client to prepare their own documents and fill, fill out the forms, not prepare the documents, but fill, provide, input the information into, provide you the information that you need that's going to then be inputted into the forms, mm -hmm. right? Uh, is made possible by some of the technological components that we talked about way early on, way early on in this conversation yeah. around, okay, we wanna build a virtual firm mm -hmm. or have the capacity to work virtually. What's the technology that we need to underpin that intention that can make empowering the client to do some work themselves possible and also uh, feasible mm -hmm. for the client, right? Because otherwise they, would, they probably wouldn't be able to do it or it wouldn't be efficient, so it doesn't make sense. So those things kind of go together. So you've got the administrative hearings, you've got the client being able to fill out these forms for themselves. Anything else that comes to mind off the top of your head uh, as far as the types of things that clients could do themselves? that you would like consistently coach them on, you know, like filing documents or uh, other parties, stuff for the other party, uh, whatever it might be. Filing, service, administrative hearings, um, parts of the discovery, um, uh, filling out some of the forms that are required. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. Yep. And the, the other thing that I try to sell them on is um, the way to limit their cost is to work with me virtually so that they're not paying me the hourly fee for my FaceTime because that's what's gonna cost you. You wanna come in, you wanna have a meeting, you wanna do some hand-holding, talk about the history of your family and you know uh, what's gone on exactly and how it's traumatized everyone and that's going to cost an hourly rate because that's not really advancing um, the case the way the client thinks it is right, right? from my side uh, the attorney side you know i get all the information i need in the first like five or ten minutes and the rest of the hour and a half or whatever is just we're just sitting there listening to story um okay. and if they're willing to pay for that fine um but i know my time is better well spent getting the results that they want and you know talking to other potential clients and working on other clients cases okay so and what percentage of the clients retain you over the phone without having to come in for an office visit uh, versus the ones that have to come, decide they want to come in the visit even after that conversation? 99%. 99 percent will retain right over the phone? Yeah. Okay. And what percentage of the clients will retain for some form of a limited scope representation? Represent like limited scope. 95%. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, relatively speaking, I mean, we've got hundreds of lawyers that work within our network uh, providing them on legal services. I would say you know a handful would probably have similar numbers, um, but a lot of folks don't necessarily have that amount of clients that are rolling over the phone uh, virtually. 
you know, for the reason that, you know, because of the fact that way you're educating them about how it's going to cut down on costs, you know, it makes sense that they would. But, you know, they still have a lot of folks come in the office and they still have a lot of folks that, you know, it'd probably be the opposite where it's more like 80% full representation, 20% unbundled legal services. And so there's just, the, we really, to the best of our ability, want to uh, help attorneys understand what perhaps that they're leaving on the table. Because I guess I could think in my mind that as they're hearing this, well, if you're empowering the client to do these things yourself, themselves, you're not getting paid for that anymore, right? Okay, so let's deal with that for a second. So what does this enable for you in your practice as far as being able to serve more clients, not maybe get so invested emotionally, or like how, how is that a benefit to you to reduce the cost to the client. Obviously, the client's going to be happy because you're a person of integrity and they can sense that and you're trying to save the money. So they're probably going to be more likely to retain you because of the fact they can sense that you're not trying to overbill them. So that's going to help for some to some degree. But how does that how does that uh, benefit you and shift the way you you practice and how has that impacted your? Well, I think it does wonders for the attorney-client interpersonal relationship, of course, right off the bat. Yes. Um, it also does wonders for my stress level, just personally, because I don't get embroiled in these cases that go on, can go on for years a lot of times, where attorneys can become personally invested um, in the cases because they are going on for so long and they know the opposing counsel and they've been battling them for years. Um, I don't have that. Right. Um, my wars, my battles are short-lived. Um, and so I don't have, you know, the cases that wake me up at night like I remember, right? The ones that I'm worried about because um, I've been working on them for so long and I know we need to get to a goal that's far and we need to set up, you know, strategically how we're going to get there because my timeline on most of these cases, you know, long time is six months. Right. Right? So yep. I'm on these cases piecemeal <coughs> at a time one, three, four months maybe, and then there's a lull and there's a, a recess and then they gear up again and then I'm hired again for one, three, four months. Um, so the stress level has uh, it's a big difference, night and day, hmm. um, in terms of managing the cases because really I'm not managing the case, right? I'm telling the clients what they need to do to move their case along and how they need to manage the case. And all they're doing is calling me kind of for reference. Sure. Right. To say, okay. Or, or the, the necessary appearance. Right. That's like really going to be key for their case. Right. But even then, those are limited appearances with a, with a notice of limited scope appearance. Right. Right. And when clients call me and say this, that, or the other thing is happening again, or this, that, or the other thing is brand new that's happening, what do I do? Then that segues into another retainer, another uh, fee agreement. Um, or that's just, you know, this is what I think you should do. Uh, and they decide to head off on their own. It's not my deal anymore. Right. Um, so it completely puts the ball in their court, and I'm just relieved to come in and do the work on the one to three months that I can do and get the results that I know that I can sure. and be done. Right. Um, so in terms of just the effect that the unbundled or the flat fee, the limited scope has had on my practice and my life, it's made it much more enjoyable because a lot of people will tell you, in family law especially, there really are no winners or losers, right? So it's not like you can work, if you work on a case for five or six years, like a class action lawsuit, and you get the big win at the end for everybody and their mother, 
even if you go to trial uh, on a divorce case and you get every every order that you want under the sun, it still never feels like a really big win like that, right? right? At the end of the day, people still are getting divorced. Kids are still, you know, splitting up Christmas and Easter, right? So it's not like I need to be on a case for forever to get the result I want and feel good about what I did for that client. Right. That can happen in the one to three month in- intervals. Sure. So it's, you know, Unbundled legal services not only is you know a benefit to well so one of the major factors we didn't mention obviously is that if, if folks don't have to pay three to five thousand dollars upfront and they can get started working mm-hmm. and make payments at you know five hundred to a thousand dollars a pop for you to deliver these limited scope services and have them empower you mm-hmm. I would uh, empower, you empower them to do some work themselves that's a lot lower price barrier and so I would assume that you have a lot more clients retaining your services as a result. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, they overlap, right? Because I'm constantly getting more and and I'm shedding off more clients at a quicker rate as well, as opposed sure. to the hourly ones that you can be on for, for years, right? right? So the uh, attor- the new clients that are hiring me as an attorney on their case, you know, they're off in three months. So it, clients that are making payments, even monthly payment clients, are only paying for a series of a couple or three or four months. Sure. Um, so That's kind of the offset of it, eh? Yeah. Right? Okay. So it's not so like... a little bit more attrition. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Um, and... But generally speaking, it's like, it's a more attractive offer, so to speak. Absolutely. Sure. Um, and it's definitely more attractive also because they feel invested. Like, it's not just you hire an attorney, they go into their office and do their work, and then you show up at court, and then you either win or lose, or, you know, you had a good result or a bad result, and you don't really know how that happened or why, or... But with the unbundled, the, the limited scope clients, they know what's going on. It's the turnaround time on their paperwork is very short. Um, we're having discussions about what their next steps are all the time, right. where they're coming from, where they're going, because they're the ones who need to manage it and be able to decide when or whether or not and when to call me again. Yes. Um, so it's not like, you know, they hire me and then don't hear from me for two or three months and then see me at the court hearing. No. Yep. Um, so they definitely feel like it's their case and they didn't just hand it off to somebody and then they don't know what happened or how they arrived at this horrible order or a great order or not. They're involved. It's their case. Yep. And that makes them feel responsible for it. They feel like they're working with me on their case as opposed to just I'm working their case and they don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's a big contrast. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference where it's like, you know, it's like having someone on your team guiding you every step of the way as opposed to here's my problem. Take it away from me. Right. You deal with it. And I don't even know what you're doing. Right. I just know I haven't got a call for two weeks, so I'm stressing out. Yeah. I get this bill I wasn't expecting. That causes the right? tension at the end. The adversarial relationship. Yep. And then you're like, you know, having to have a dispute Justify. over what was charged. Yep. You know, and it's like this, you know, it's, a, it's not a good dynamic. You know, it's not a good dynamic you want to create you know, you're, as opposed to the empowerment model. So, and what percentage of clients that begin working with you on limited scope will uh, decide that, hire you for additional limited uh, unbundled services or full representation from there do you know well i think full representation is really small um, but there are a bunch of clients that do start out small. And I do have to have conversations with certain clients of, look, you've got too many things going on. This is not a case that is actually good for unbundled limited scope. There, You need someone to manage all of this. Yes. Um, and I do have those conversations with clients when it's appropriate. Yes. Um, it's not often. Um, I would say maybe, you know, 2 3% uh, of clients actually have cases like that that do, do demand um, kind of like an onboard attorney to manage every aspect, either because the client themselves demand it because of how 
they are, what their capabilities are in terms of understanding the process and knowing what to do and not to do and stuff like that. Or because the case itself um, is just uh, revving high and has a whole bunch of issues going on at the same time. But what would be some examples of the types of cases that would probably not be fit for unbundling or types of clients? Like what are the what are the things to watch out for for attorneys that are newer to providing unbundled legal services that they uh, may want to inc- uh, insist on for representation or, or not assist on unbundled? Well, I would definitely say we have more than a couple issues going on at the same time. And by yeah. issues, I don't mean just custody and visitation and support. I mean, uh, you have subpoenas, discovery, detailed, in-depth kind of discovery issues, motions to compel, uh, motions against you for sanctions. Please, dear God, don't ever handle yourself. Um, you know, processing the judgment just because it's a pain in the behind. Um when there's issues uh, about minors counsel and how to handle that because you know everybody expects them to be the family therapist you know um things not to handle preparation for mediation because they don't know the ramifications of how it's going to happen you need at least to be briefed on how that's going to go down um definitely trial anything that includes testimony and introduction of evidence and preservation of the record for appeal if that's an issue right and definitely not going to be able to handle that um I think that's pretty much it. Yep. And then what are the types of clients that, um, I, mean, I think usually it's just like they don't necessarily have the intelligence or capacity to mm-hmm. you know, follow basic instructions or procedures or, mm-hmm. or there's a language barrier would be two common ones. Anything else that sticks out of your mind with yeah, absolutely. types of folks? I mean, this is divorce, so everybody's going through it, right? Yeah. Um, and they don't hire attorneys because, you know, you need a rocket scientist, right? It's just you need an outside a third-party objective person that's not in it to be able to speak intelligently and objectively about it, right? Um, So clients that are definitely so um, taken with their own family dynamics for whatever reason and the breakdown of that, that they're not able to focus, not able to stand up and speak their mind even when asked, right? Um, Just because of the emotions, yeah. And so the dynamics kind of, of the families. Right? Yeah, no matter the education, no matter the, you know, the means, it's just if it's really a trying and difficult divorce and the person just can't, you know, um, be a good advocate for themselves, uh, I'm going to rep- recommend that they need full representation. Right. So emotions are high, whether they're feeling significantly or uh, exceptionally disempowered. Mm-hmm. If um, they can't realize, you know, a reasonable versus unreasonable course of action, yes. what the difference is and why, yes. um, then that's, I'm going to recommend that they need someone to help them. Good. Yeah, this is, you know, I appreciate you kind of unpacking the, the areas to, to look out for and have these conversations because the reality is, you, you know, in, in some ways, you know, just like a good doctor, it's like, you just, you don't want to, above all, don't do any harm. Right. right. And so taking someone down a path that maybe they can't complete themselves, you, know, you have to watch out for those, you know, and like you said, it's not a whole lot of clients. We're talking, you know, two, three, four, five percent yeah. of clients, you know, Very few. it seems like because you know, the, the other question is, is this person going to be in a better position if I provide them with limited scope services from a, you know, from a, someone like myself, that's you know, like for you, that's. You know, practicing attorney has got experience in that court, knows what to expect. Is someone that's representing themselves going to be in a better position having you help them on some limited basis? Most of the time, the answer is yes. Yeah. Right. You know, and then uh, then having to be it completely alone. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's and but again, that's also part of the conversation of you know, I wouldn't send my least favorite uncle into court on something that I think that he should win on and true justice in the American way should prevail on. Right. But the reason why you have an attorney go with you is 
to prevent it from going sideways sure. or that if it does go sideways, someone there who, fam- who is familiar to be able to protect your rights when it does, because yes. there's no like after the facts, fix it. Yes. Even though everybody wants to take it up on appeal. And I mean, it's not always possible. And the only real time to fix it is in real time. And that can't happen if you don't take somebody. Yes. So my least favorite uncle, he's smart, he's educated, he's charming and all that. But still, I would never send him in without an attorney. If he's able to hire one and he can find one to do the work for him, absolutely you need to. And I tell the clients that. Yes. But I'm not going to tell them that and say that, one, I'm not biased because I am an attorney, but two, that there aren't other options available. Right. It's your case. It's your life. It's your divorce. You choose. I'm just here to tell you what those options are. That's right. Okay. Okay. So um, one final thing I want, at least, what, yeah, I think this will all group together. Uh, you know, this is, I'm sure there's some lawyers that will listen to the podcast and they're just kind of scratching their head like 95% and over the phone and okay, I want to learn how to do that too. Like what, what is he doing? Uh, so I don't understand how they do it the other way. Well, that's the thing. so I want to unpack this to some degree, just as far as like being as specific as we can about your process. What, what are the major things you're going to cover in, a, in an example consultation? Because you know, your calls are 20, 30 minutes, something like that. Um, Not that long. Yeah. 10, 15, 15 is good. 15 minutes. 15 yeah. is what I'm happy with. Okay. If they need longer, of course I've been on the phone longer than 30 minutes. Yes. But it's all about what the client needs. Okay. So uh, there's there's two pieces of this. Um, one is just how to handle that initial consultation. Uh, I think, you know, just some, you know, whatever tips that, you know, you, you obviously take, you know, quite a number of leads from us. I think, you know, in, you know over 100 a month because you're servicing San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Los Angeles, I think, is on hold for a little bit. But, um, and that's expanded over time as you've, you know, gradually ramped up your practice. So it's initially starting with Los Angeles then doing Orange County and then adding on San Diego as it became available. Um, so this has expanded over time, but suffice to say, you're, you're fielding a lot of leads. You're doing a lot of consultations. And so over these, you know, the course of these months, you know, you've gradually improved your process and gotten better at, you know, being efficient on those calls, but also, you know, having a lot of folks want to make the call. And so what are the, to the best of your ability, like unpack, what are the things that you do in that consultation, the things that you'll, you'll make sure you hit every time so that uh, you know, people understand. Like, I think one thing for sure would be the value of the virtual sales point that you mentioned. Like, right. hey, you could come into my office, you could sit down with me, but you know, I'm going to be billing you hour by hour for that time, mm-hmm. and we can get into the whole story, or we can take a look at you know, what are the specific things you need to get done, and let's get those things done. Mm-hmm. And if you, we can save you from having to come in the office, that's going to save you a lot of money there too, mm-hmm. right? So, and I can imagine that this conversation is around like, how can I save you money? What are the different ways we could do that? So maybe just in your own words, like what are the things that you're, you you hit in the consultation, uh, you know, either in a, in a kind of ascending order or, you know, what are the, the main keys that you've learned that make that more successful for you? Well, I think the first thing is always just information. Um, I'm not, these are not sales calls for me. I mean, yes, of course they are. I need to, you know, pay for my own life and family and et cetera. But um, I find that so many people speak to me, even if I'm not even the first attorney they've spoken to about their divorce, haven't the faintest clue about the process, the stages, (coughs) the requirements. Um, So I try to boil that down as quickly as I can and give them just up front, here's the information. This is what you need to do. This is how it's going to go. These are the three parts of the divorce case, you know, X, Y, and Z, first, second, and third, um, and give that information up front. And then if they want to talk to me about their particular issues, their particular problems that they want resolved, um, then we can talk about that and how I can help them do that. And then usually at the end of the call, it's, okay, how much? Okay, right. 
<laughs> okay, so it's like beginning of the conversation. It's like, okay, tell me what's going on. Bring me up to speed with your situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, they give you a, a synopsis of the situation. Maybe you're asking a few questions. Children involved, customers in place. And usually, I just cut right to the point. <laughs> the, the, the first thing is, you know, whatever the situation is, whatever the details are, just up front, just tell me what is it that you want to have happen. Just tell me the end result first. Right. Because that's the most important. <clears throat> you tell me, tell me the end result. Give you a little, give me a little snippet of what's going on, and I can tell you how to get there. All the details of everything that's going to fill it out and make it full, and all the things that are going to be required for the judge, I don't need right now. That's right. We yeah. just need to know what do you want to have happen, and how can I make that happen for you? And what steps? What what are the requirements that you're the hoops you're going to have to jump through to get there? You can do it on your own. You can hire me, hire somebody else, go to the court, take a number, wait in line. They'll do it for you for free. Not too great, but they'll do it, and it's free. You know, these are the things available to you. But in order for me to give that information to you, I only need a very limited set of facts, of information, of pieces from you. Right. And that is, what do you want? Yes. What do you want to see? Well, if, you know, if you could have the situation turn out exactly the way you want, what would you like to see happen? Yeah. It's one of the primary questions. And we just script. work backwards from there. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you, you'll... Figure out what their goals are, basic facts of what, what it is they're trying to do, yeah. and then process. Okay, well, here's the things that need to happen next, mm-hmm. right? So, like, you need to file this. These are the documents you need to get done. From there, this is going to happen. So, you talk about some of the specific steps that come next? Yes. Okay. And the things that they're going to need to do in order to, to make that happen in the courtroom? Right. And each, each step, which steps that I can help them with and which steps they can do on their own uh-huh. and which steps, um, you know, the time frame for the steps and what to expect going forward. Um, and all of that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not they hire me. Right. And do you, do you give a bit of a precursor around like this? Are you familiar with Thumbbottle Legal Services? Did you read it on the website? Do you have an idea or you just kind of go, okay, so these are the things that need to get done. These are the things I think you can handle yourself to save you money based on just our limited conversation here. These are the things that I, I would say I could definitely do. Like, how do you... I think the precursor is old school, new, new school. Okay. So, give that analogy. Right, because that, that set, I think that segue comes about from, <coughs> look, here's the general divorce process. You okay. do this, you do that, you're divorced. And we can do that, you know, one of two ways. Usually you do the old school, big fat retainer and monthly billing per minute, per hour, invoices, all that stuff. Or we do the flat fee and I try to find clients that will do everything virtually with me so my overhead is low and you can save on costs. Okay. And so then usually they have questions about that. Okay, so of the process that we just talked about, like how would that work with the unbundled flat fee limited scope? Okay, well, we go step by step. And first we start with that first step and I would quote you this much and we just go from there and you can decide at each point along the process whether you want to hire me on to do that or you're going to take care of it yourself. Right. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think that'll give people a little bit better. You know, that's like... Initially, find out what they need help with. Talk about what needs to get done. These are all the phases of the process. Here's the old school way of doing it. This is traditional full representation. You pay me for A to Z. I do everything. It costs this much. Then there's this limited scope new school way of going about it, which is you know, I could do parts of these cases. You can do parts yourself. We can find a balance between what you're comfortable with and what you can afford. And then we just kind of come up with a solution that's going to make the most sense for you given your budget and what you're trying to do. Yep. And then you'll get into some very specific options and then you know, give them a flat rate quote, see if that can fit them in the budget. And then uh, from there, if they can't afford, do you, do you give them some payment options like let's say it's you know a thousand dollars to knock out the documents or something whatever it is thirty to get done. Yeah, sometimes Take they lunch. ask for are there options for payments, and sure. then I'll tell them yes, of course, and then discuss what the process is. Right. Because really, uh, 
that the process lends itself to the payment options. Right. So if they ask for payment options, I said, yes, of course. You know, you want to start with the initial petition and a motion at the same time. You can just start with a petition now and then wait. And when you're ready to go <coughs> forward with the motion, then make a payment and we can start that. Right. Um, so I kind of draw out or describe better in more detail the process and where they can take uh, time and use that to their advantage so that they can get the money together for the next step. Right. But they don't have to do everything all at once if there's no danger, if there's no emergency right now, right? Yeah. Um, and that they can use that to their benefit. Yeah. And in many ways, it's just dealing with that next, that, that, that thing that's right in front of them. Right. Right. It's like you're not trying to convince them to be the, you're not, it's the thing, it's like you don't, you don't have to convince them to be that you're their lawyer that's going to handle this whole thing for them for the next year or two or whatever. Right. The decision is, I can help you with this. Here's this next thing that needs to get done. I can help you with this. The immediate that. need. Right. Yeah. And that enables them to kind of give you, get experience for being able to try you out and right. get a little bit, uh, you know, get more comfortable working with you for a very small amount of money, yeah, relatively the risk, speaking. The risk reward for them is much better. That's right. Because they're not making a long-term commitment at this point. Yep. It's a big piece. And then also, I think for you, you get to try them out. A yeah. little bit, right? Get yeah. a sense for. I get to try hey, them out, and that informs my next quote, yep. right? Yep. And, and my next uh, recommendation of how to break up the future parts of their case, because now I have more contact with them. I'm more familiar with the particular facts of their case. I know what is coming down the pipeline because I've seen these cases a million times, um, and I can give them better information about how to handle it and what they're probably going to have to hire me for. Because right. I can tell them, no, don't hire me for this part. This thing is coming down. You're going to have to save all your ducats for that thing that's going to happen in six months. Yes. Yes, Exactly. And I'm sure any, any lawyer that's provided full representation for any period of time will have at least a few clients where they're like, man, if I had known yeah. XYZ aspect about this case, XYZ about this client, yeah. maybe I wouldn't have gotten involved in this one. Yeah. You know, so and you, then, can, you can kind of take a little slow right. for yourself too, hey? Yeah. And it makes it easier to kind of offload those cases or those clients that you necessarily don't want to work with for whatever reason. Right. Either it's because you haven't made per the full commitment. Right. Either it's personality or just the case or whatever. Your your life is going nuts and you have to deal with other things. Um, so you can do the things that attorneys do a lot of times, even on hourly offers, which is you know to jack up the uh, deposit requirements for the retainer to try and make sure that this is something that the client really wants to hire you for and kind of increase the likelihood that they are not going to. Yes. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of wiggle room there. You just have to know where it is and how to, you just have to play with it and figure out how to use it to get what you want accomplished. Either not to have that, that client hire you as their attorney again because you just don't want to deal with it sure. or, you know, just say, sorry, I'm booked or, you know, whatever it is. Right. But you actually, you have that choice at that point rather than having to be withdrawn from the record oh. and you're already, you know, attorney, right. you know everything's been established yeah, at that point. Yeah, referrals to the bar those. because, you know, <laughs> uh, they think that you signed off improperly or they feel bad about how the the breakdown of the relationship went or maybe you didn't fulfill your obligations from when they first remember you making promises to them at the retainer agreement signing. You know, there's none of that. Yeah. It's all just either. That's what Woody Mostyn said, who was the, you know, one of the, Forrest Woody Mostyn is one of the founders of the, the concept of unbundling itself, is malpractice insurance companies love yeah. unbundled legal services. Yeah. Because there's rarely ever any claims. Yeah. It's just like, you know, virtually no claims at all. Yeah. Uh, because of the fact that you're, 
really having a meeting of the minds with the client every step of the way and you're not having to make the commitment all the way down the road without knowing all the things that are going to be coming to play mm-hmm. all the different factors and so forth so and there's also like the, there's also a whole bunch of things that just the uh, client is unfamiliar with doesn't have any idea about obligation professional responsibility obligations um things that they're billed for i, I had a client i remember years ago that was hourly who wanted to be able to dictate whether or not i returned opposing counsel's phone call Yes. And then get billed for it. Yes. Uh-huh. And I have to, but he doesn't want to pay for it. And it creates that same, you know, tension that just does not exist with yes. limited scopes. Yes. Well, this, is, this has been so valuable to really get down to the meat of like how it is that this is how it's done. You know, like how you can deliver these services with the technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we only hit on that pretty briefly, but we've got a lot of different episodes, you know, with Rebecca Fuller on legal technology and streamlining the process, streamline your practice. You know, we've talked about practice management, document assembly, you know, so for those of you that want to get a little bit more information about, you know, how to implement these these software uh, services to make things a little bit more streamlined, you know, we, we've certainly covered that quite a bit. Uh, but law, yaw, Clio, document assembly, uh, intake systems and so forth, that's really helpful. But, you know, above all, it's it's really, you know, this is what also what he talked about when we went to his own legal services training in San Diego, and also his national trainings that he does, he's done a couple of them the last couple of years especially, is you know, is the, the concept or idea of leading with unbundled legal services. F- try to find a way to help that client on an unbundled basis first. Yeah. Right? Figure out if there's a way to save them money. Yeah. Right? Can you, can you advise them in ways that they can handle a, bit of, a couple of administrative hearings? Could you, uh, you know, empower them to... Uh, prepare some of the documents themselves or at least input the information? Could you reduce some of the cost? Could you go one phase at a time to make things more affordable for that client so they don't have to pay the money up front? You know, find a way to unbundle if there's any way at the outset. Clients are really going to appreciate it. It's, you know, when you're doing things as a flat rate on a limited scope basis, mm-hmm. we didn't really talk, t- you know, touch base too much on this, but, you know, you can really start to streamline the process so it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get mm-hmm. documents out the door. You may be charging five hundred to a thousand dollars, but that doesn't mean it needs to take five to ten hours to do it. Yeah, you know, a lot of these things could take you know the attorney's time, maybe an hour or two hours. So the effective hourly rates are really great as far as you know the return on what you're collecting for the amount of time you have to put into each limited scope document. And again, we've had these conversations, like for example, Clay Wilkins' episode on how to make five hundred, seven hundred fifty dollars an hour providing unbundled legal services. Uh, you know, check out that episode. He talks specifically about the running the numbers or the effective hourly rate of providing unbundled services at a flat rate. So I don't want to repeat what's already been discussed in that episode. Um, but it can be very, you know, viable financially to leave with these very profitable service options to offer uh, before you make the commitment to go all in with the client, just like the client, you know, before they have to make the commitment to go all in with you. Mm-hmm. And- I would, I would even make the argument that it, you're making that offer to serve your client better, right? Yes. But I would also argue that you have to make that offer to them to serve yourself too, because I really don't think. Um, even before I met or became familiar with unbundled services, that the hourly um, the hourly billing structure really serves the attorney either. 
I don't think that it serves the client with how they get billed and it also doesn't serve the attorney because of how you have to watch over your billing, the risks involved and the liabilities Liability, with yeah. the malpractice and the dynamics. The account of the, receivable percentages, like the average percentage exactly. is like 60 to 70% yep. of like Employing actual buddies you collect. A whole right? other person in your office, if not two or three to deal with that. Deal with collections, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, malpractice insurance, just yeah. the tension and the stress of knowing that you're working on stuff you're never really going to see um, payment for. Um, and for a, a feeling of having clients that are ungrateful for that or just all, everything that's wrapped up in that, I just don't think it's the best way to go. There are certain situations and cases that call for it and it's a good idea. But I just, as a general rule, <coughs> I don't think it serves either party on either side, the attorney or client, the best way that we can. Yeah. Well, and it just so happens that there's thousands and thousands of clients out there, you know, representing 70 to 75% of the market that would... Uh, be very grateful for the opportunity to you know work with an attorney like yourself that offers these options because at the end of the day it's it's going to be more affordable for them, mm -hmm. but also it's profitable for you, but mm -hmm. it's very affordable for them, and they're getting the access to the legal services that they badly need in a way that I can, that the average working family or you know, lower middle income person can fit in their budget, mm -hmm. and so you know that's where we go all the way back full circle to you know why you left that big firm in the first place. Right now you have the opportunity to have control of your own lifestyle. Work virtually as you have you as chosen. You know, some people can work, you know, in person with the clients, but work virtually, work the hours you want. Um, and also, more importantly, be able to make a difference in people's lives by giving them access to the services that they otherwise wouldn't be able to afford. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much for uh, your, your generosity, your time, and helping me <laughs> uh, shine a light on what's possible here. And I think what's still on the table, I think, for so many other attorneys to really get to understand this business model a little bit better. Uh, and I think it's a real key component to actually having a measurable shift in the affordable, uh, the affordability of legal services in this country. You know, we have this access to justice problem, but, yeah. you know, in reality, it, it's a solvable problem. Yeah. You know, it can be solved by the, 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 the for-profit sector. Uh, by attorneys just you know better understanding this model and learning how to use technology and and offer these services in the ways that we've described so uh, really appreciate you just you know laying you know, laying out how it is how this has made it possible for your practice uh, and also you know made such a difference in the way you 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 know you you live your life now relative to the way it was before uh, any final uh, you know before we wrap up any final points uh, things you've taken away from the last uh, you know couple years or so of implementing these service options or anything that you would say, hey, man, we really got to hit this final point or anything that I missed, uh, you think, before we wrap up? I mean, the only thing for some and reason... he asks, right? The, yeah. the only thing for some reason on uh, the front of my mind right now is just... Um, I went to that Clio conference. I think it was last year or the year before. I can't really remember at this yep. point. The Cloud uh, conference, yep. Heaven help me. I can't remember who the speaker was, but I do remember one of the things that he said was that the um, opposite, I think the opposite of poverty is not wealth, but it's access to justice. Um, and that's just something I think is paramount. And this is one of the ways that, sorry. This is one of the ways that I could help in that area. So many, so many of the people that you talk to just think that from the outset, there's no way that they can hire an attorney that there's no way that they can hire representation. And they're just going to get, pardon my language, but screwed. Yep. Um, and they should just, I should just tell them, right, that they should walk away right now. 
Yeah. And no, if you're making services affordable at $100 increments, at $500 increments, at $1,000 increments, um, even families that $500 is a lot for, they can still get their paperwork done. They can still get it done correctly. They can still make payments over time. They can still have an attorney as a resource to call or text or email. Um, and just having that access for people who just automatically think that it's not possible, I think is the most It's the most important thing. Yeah, above all, that's what we're all, that's why we're doing what we're doing, you know? That's why we're running this podcast and all this other stuff. So I really appreciate that, your commitment to that. You and know? thanks for allowing me to be able to serve more people that way. Yeah, it's certainly been a lot of people we've been serving. So uh, I really thank you for all the work you're doing and your willingness to work with folks on this basis and your commitment to you know, walk yeah, all the way back from when you walked out of that firm. Yeah. And you knew that that wasn't, you know, why you became a lawyer. It's not what you're here to do. Um, and you answered that call. And you continue to do that every single day. So thank you so much for being willing to, to, to you know, be willing to apply that every day. Thanks. All right. So thank you so much for again for sharing. For those of you that are listening, um, watching the episodes you know we're doing it as a video podcast now uh, we certainly appreciate everything that you're doing to you know learn the nuts and bolts and strategies and find a little bit better way to approach this so that you can serve more clients and and uh, fortunately you don't have to you know go broke doing it anymore you know because uh you know our legal service is ethical we got the technology and all the systems and tools available to make it possible so that you can make a great living and help a lot of people at the same time and it just feels so darn good to know that that, uh, that we can all do that together. We don't have to volunteer our way out of this thing. So uh, thanks so much for being a part of this movement. And we certainly look forward to seeing you on the ne next episode. For more information about how our exclusive unbundled leads can help you grow your practice, visit our website at unbundledattorney.com. You can watch each new episode of the podcast on the Unbundled Attorney YouTube channel. Or if you prefer to listen, you can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available. And remember to leave us your review on iTunes. We read each and every one of them and really appreciate your support of the show. Once again, thanks for listening.